Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Okay, I'm so excited to have Brianna Ramos on the Arthritis Life podcast today. Welcome. Hi, Cheryl. I'm so excited to be here um, as a guest on your podcast, finally. I know, I know. I, I think I only virtually met you a couple years ago, but it's pandemic years, so it feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> exactly, right? I know. Yeah. And um, can you just start by letting the audience know just where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Sure. I live just outside of Tampa, Florida. Actually, we just bought a house a few months ago, um, but I actually grew up in South Jersey. So like Philly sports teams, Philly hospitals, Philly, everything um, is kind of like what I grew up with. And um, I was diagnosed with a form of arthritis at the age of 13 and I'm 26. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're exactly at half your life ago. Yes. Yeah. It was like kind of like a big year. Yeah. I saw your posts. I didn't even put the dots together. I always forget. Um, but yeah, today was my, this year was my like half life, I guess. (laughs) I, yeah, it's such a, it's such a strange thing to wrap your mind around. But yeah, I'd love to know more about like your diagnosis story slash saga. Like when did you start having symptoms? How did you get diagnosed? All that. Yeah. It's always hard for me to like pinpoint it. Um, because a lot of like the symptoms I think I was experiencing early on, I didn't register that it wasn't normal. Um, and I wasn't like telling my parents about pain or anything like that, that I was experiencing. Cause I just thought it was normal. Um, and like the fatigue and things like that, like taking a nap every day after school and, having to take that extra time, um, really was just normal in my mind. The thing that I think the doctors started like the first red flag, I guess, for my doctors was 
um, I had was experiencing weight loss and had uh, the end, like just wasn't really able to gain weight no matter what I did, protein shakes, um, changing my diet, changing, you know, a lot of things about my lifestyle. I was struggling to gain weight. Um, and for quite some time, um, pediatricians kind of questioned me about having an eating disorder. Um, and it was something that like, it was hard to go through cause it kind of, it was like a trust thing almost. Cause then it like made my parents question like, Oh, does she have eating disorder? And I was like, no, I promise I don't have an eating disorder. Like I'm, that's not something I'm, yeah. but I am experiencing all these other things, but their doctors couldn't really find another way to explain what I was going through at the time until there was one pediatrician at my practice who finally went ahead and ordered lab work to be done, like a full ANA panel and some other things. And a lot of markers came up in that from what I remember. I was 13. So it was kind of like a little blurry. Um, and a lot of it was between like the doctors and my mom and then to me. Um, but from what I remember and what my mom and I have talked about, it's that that's what happened. And then from there, the pediatrician said, you need to go to rheumatology. And like I said, we were not far from the Philly area. So we had Children's Hospital Philadelphia within like an hour drive. Um, so we were pretty lucky to have great doctors really close. Um, it took some time to get in to see a pediatric rheumatologist there, but once I did with everything they had from labs, maybe some x-rays, I don't remember and doing like a full body exam and me finally like, uh, being honest and recognizing some of the symptoms I was feeling, we were able to get a diagnosis in my first rheumatology appointment, which I was super lucky to have. Wow. And, and was that mixed connective tissue disease? Yeah. And so that was the first time that I was diagnosed with mixed connective tissue disease. The rheumatologist team then said it was an overlap of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which it's not called that anymore, but that's what it was called when I was diagnosed, <laughs> um, lupus and scleroderma. So since wow. then, the diagnosis hasn't really changed. My rheumatologist now still sees it as like an overlap of RA and lupus. It doesn't fit perfectly into either like mm. bucket, um, but it's still like that MCTD like mixed thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, first of all, I'm so sorry you went through that experience of kind of having not not having answers, you know, and I, I'm trying to like be better about speaking delicately about the issue of like getting um I think think of it as like accused or I don't know what the better word is of having an eating disorder. Because it's not, you know, it's eating disorders are le a legitimate, you know, mental illness that is one of the deadliest mental illnesses there is, truly. So it's important yeah. to, to rule out an eating disorder if someone's losing weight. But as a patient um, I, I'm just, I'm reflecting because I recently shared my diagnosis story in more detail. And I had a few people say that they listened and it was a bit triggering for them if they had had a history of eating disorder. So I'm kind of going on that slight tangent, but wanting to recognize that like, it's hard to talk about these things, you know, and it's hard. Um, and so I appreciate that you're, that you're bringing it up and 
that I'm sorry that you had that experience. I think um, for me, what it brought up was the idea that if, well, if they think that I'm doing this on purpose and I'm lying about it, then they're not going to try to figure out what it really is. And that was what was so frustrating was feeling like they weren't listening when I was like, no, I don't have any body image issues or I don't want to lose weight. I want to gain. Is that, did you feel similar? Am I projecting? Oh yeah. It was definitely like frustrating because I was trying a lot of different things and um, like my parents were buying, I remember like these like bottled like protein shakes to like try to get more calories in me. And I was like, eating so much more than my sisters. Cause I had two, two younger sisters. So I was like eating more than they were, but, um, I just still wasn't able to gain weight. And I didn't realize that that could be like a very early, like sign of lupus or some of these other autoimmune diseases. And looking back now, it, you know, it makes sense that that's what was going on, but, um, I think like being at that age, I don't know how old you were, but like being 13, like I had had people around me who were actually, who were really going through those sorts of things, um, like with an eating disorder. And, um, it wasn't, it was something that like, I knew I, I wasn't going through, but that's what they were asking me. Um, so yeah, it was tough. Yeah. And and like, just as a piece of like patient education for anyone listening, yes, weight loss and unintended weight loss is listed as a symptom of both rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, you know, and it's in rheumatoid arthritis, it's particularly like muscle wasting that can be the cause like rheumatoid cachexia for lupus. I'm not as familiar with like the process, but and well, I, I know it's, of course, lupus is just never straightforward. It's Unintended weight loss or unintended weight gain are yeah. symptoms of lupus. <laughs> so, um, you know, there you go. It's never going to be straightforward with the autoimmune, autoimmune life. But and um, and so, you know, I see you eventually. Thank goodness that one pediatrician decided to order, you know, the full lab work done, and they found those autoimmune markers. Um, and and then. So when you first got that kind of preliminary diagnosis, and I'm imagining it was hard to wrap your mind around just because it's also like you have a mixture of this mixed connective tissue disease plus kind of JIA and lupus and serodema, but yeah. it's not like you have this one definitive thing. Like, how is that to wrap your head around? Yeah. I mean, so when I was first diagnosed, I uh, a family member of mine has lupus. Um, so I had heard of lupus before, but I didn't know a lot about it. Um, I knew about arthritis, but I didn't know about rheumatoid arthritis. Like I knew that, like, I thought, I thought old people got arthritis in their hands and, um, it was really just like joint pain. Um, but I was 13. So like, I don't blame myself for not knowing any better. Um, so it's like, it's hard. Um, it was definitely tough because I just didn't know like what it all meant. Um, and that like what it was going to mean long-term and the whole thing with the mixed connective tissue disease has always been like an ongoing, I think like thought and conversation for myself. Um, even as someone who like volunteers for the arthritis foundation and has been trying to get more involved with the lupus foundation, there's not a lot out there Mm -hmm. for, mixed connective tissue disease. I don't fall perfectly Mm -hmm. into like 
either category. There's not, it's a more rare disease. So there's not a lot of people out there to talk um, about it with, but I think like at the end of the day, I've kind of just accepted, like, we're all just like experiencing a lot of the same symptoms and trying to treat it in similar ways. And I'm on, you know, similar medications as my friends with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. And um, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of a label on these symptoms that I'm have experienced. Um, but I have Mm -hmm. had like an identity crisis about it before, like not being, yeah, the perfect, like, like, especially after I like made my Instagram page, that girl with arthritis and my like disease Mm -hmm. started leaning more towards lupus. I was like, I'm having an identity crisis. Like, do I need to swivel here? Um, But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) Oh, I, I totally get that. And even like, you know, me calling my, you know, like my organization arthritis life, it's really more like inflammatory and autoimmune, autoinflammatory arthritis. And really arthritis is just like a tiny little sliver. Like that, that's joint, that just means joint inflammation, right? So you can have joint inflammation from like overdoing it on a way of exercise, or you can have it from like a systemic autoimmune condition that's affecting like every part of your body. Like, yeah. so it doesn't even, it isn't even that specific. So I totally I'm glad that you're bringing up this idea of like an identity crisis. I mean, I identify with it too, or even when you have a definitive label, like let's say in an imaginary world, I only had a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. It's still like, I've never met a single person who's like, I follow the textbook definition to a T, you know, (laughs) nobody does. And maybe a rheumatologist listening can let me know. They're like, I had one patient once in 1994 that, you know, but the majority of people um, have, you know, maybe their rheumatoid arthritis is not fully bilateral, like they have one side that's worse than the other, or like their big joints and not their small joints, but it's still RA, or with lupus, maybe they don't have the butterfly rash, or they don't have, you know, some of the more common symptoms. So I think it can be, um, yeah, and when you start living your life more publicly, um, it can become, it can be definitely difficult when your condition changes. Um, but and we're going to talk more about like how and why you started sharing your story online because that's so and, and connecting with other people through like your volunteer efforts but um I wanted to first I try to kind of go in order because my brain goes in so many directions so I write down ahead of time like um, a sketched out you know order um a lot of times people who are newly diagnosed they kind of like hearing from other patients especially like what treatments have you got tried you know you mentioned that you've gone on some treatments that are more typical for the inflammatory arthritis family, like juvenile idiopathic arthritis or RA. And you've tried some medications that are more typical of like lupus. Like, is there a way to condense? Like, I know it's kind of hard to condense. Can you condense your medical history for us? Yeah. Right. I wish. Um, so maybe highlight some of the highlights that you enjoy talking about. (laughs) Um, I mean, I feel like I've done a little, tried a little bit of everything that you could at this point. I mean, I've done, the methotrexate, the imurin, um, some things have worked for me for bits of time and then not worked again. Um, I have tried several biologics, both injections and infusions, um, and some for arthritis and then some for lupus. Um, I just started on like one of the newest lupus biologics just last week. Um, 
So we're kind of like seeing how that works after I was on Zeljans for quite some time and that stopped working for me. So we're kind of trying a different route, but, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's like never easy to find new medications. I'm always like, it's so hard talking about my treatment history. Um, because I'm sure that the same thing happens to you, Cheryl. I like don't, I am hesitant to share because to give people hope of like, this is what worked for me. So it'll work for right. you. Um, cause there's so many different paths out there and everybody's body is going to respond so differently to everything. And, um, even if it worked for me for like a year, it might work for you forever. Um, so right, it's just like, right. it's so tough to talk about that. Um, at least, especially with how quickly science is changing and moving, even from when I was first diagnosed at 13, seeing all the new options out there now, um, mm-hmm. even between moving from pediatric to adult care, because not everything's approved for peds. So like, as soon as I moved to adult care, a lot more became available to me and was like on the table as an option. So that's a really helpful, um, insight. I I sometimes forget that because I was diagnosed at age 20 with adult arthritis because I was technically an adult, right? Even though I started having symptoms a couple of years earlier, I was still technically an adult at that time too. And so in a way I got kind of fortunate with the timing because all of the medications that were available at the time in 2003 were on the table. Whereas, yeah, if I had been 16, um, like you mentioned, those medications are like FDA approved for just like with vaccines, you have certain vaccines where it's like you have to be, you know, shin grips, you have to be over 18 or something like that. But I want to go back to what you're saying about sharing about medications. That's definitely something where I had to learn, you mentioned like being hesitant sometimes because for me, it's like I have these both opposite fears. I don't want to give someone false hope that they'll respond the same way I did positively to one med that they, uh, and I also don't want to give them false scaredness like because like there's I've had some like when I first started making videos um um trying to be a little bit more on the humorous side alongside more like straightforward or inspirational or educational videos I also did some that were like humorous because it kind of for me it's like if you can't cry laugh or (laughs) sometimes you know so I was like oh yeah that feeling when you know when your first biologic like works for six years and then your body makes antibodies to it and then you're like I'm, I'm sitting here laughing while I made this, even though it's kind of dark humor. And then someone's like, oh my gosh, they comment like, I didn't know that could happen. Now I'm scared. And on the one hand, it's like, well, you should acknowledge this power, right? It's good to know that that could happen. So you're not blindsided if it does, but I also don't want to give people false, yeah. um, false, fill in the blank, false hope or false scaredness or fear. Um, so um yeah, it's like easier. Sometimes I find it easier to talk about the, the success stories because it's like, oh, if you're scared thinking about the check state because you think for sure you're going to be like vomiting or, you know, nauseous. Like, hey, there are examples. Like, I'm one of them. There are people who don't have those side effects. But then if you're like, well, I don't get nauseous, therefore you won't get nauseous and the person gets nauseous, then so it's like all, then it's, that's problematic. So it's all about for me, like how you frame it and how you share it can, can, can make it, um, like more or less likely that somebody will have like a good or bad experience based on your information. Sorry, that was a long ramble. No. Yeah, it was totally, it's like, I feel like it's something that's come up more and more um, recently. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just like new, new people are reaching 
are like are in our audience now. Um, I don't know if it's happening mm-hmm. to you too. And I always feel the worst when it's like parents of kids going through because I do have a lot of parents Mm. who um are like looking for advice and things like that and kid pediatric care is so different and a lot of the times more I think what's the word I'm looking for like they're just like slower to jump into like biologics or anything like that for pediatrics um which there's pros and cons to both. I'm super glad that I got started on the medications I got started on right away. Um, but it's like, not everybody sees it that way too. So. Yeah. Yes. And this really comes like, I file this kind of into the conversation of like medical literacy, which is like this very kind of boring sounding term for like how like lay people, like people who are not healthcare providers or not doctors or not, you know, nurses, can kind of uh, understand and make decisions about health, their own healthcare. And it can be difficult because I know that, you know, particularly in pediatrics, I, I have worked in pediatrics as an occupational therapist. Um, I don't get approached as often because uh, nowadays for like, you know, pediatric rheumatology um, parents and stuff, I get more approached by like other fellow adult patients, but um, it's, you know, most people that that approach me with a medication question are like hesitant about it. They're they're nervous about trying trying medications, which is um, totally understandable. Yeah, you know, invalid. But um, it's hard when like when people don't understand the potential. They are only looking exclusively at the risks and not the potential benefits. So you also like you don't know any one person are they going to experience just the risk, no benefit? Are they experience the benefit? Like even if 99% of patients do well on a medication, you can tell someone that, but they're never going to know if they're going to be that 1%. Exactly. So I think that's hard too. Yeah. So I've started trying to say like, no, like try to focus on the fact that like, you're going to cope with this no matter what, whether this medication does or doesn't work, you're going to figure out a way to cope. I don't know if that is there like, something you do or I don't know if there's a other yeah do you have tips for other people in this situation who are maybe um yeah who were like what do you say to those parents who approach you or is it just kind of different each time depending on yeah I think it's, it's different each time and everybody's like situation is so different depending on like some kids are diagnosed and they have like two joints affected and then if you're talking to like mm-hmm. a systemic patient like those are to- two totally different conversations I mean I just try to share mm-hmm. you know a brief kind of what I shared with you of like what I've gone through um about like you know I've tried a lot of different medications I'm still like taking it day by day it's still a part of my life but you kind of just learn to live with like you learn how to adapt to this new life um because it's you know it's intimidating for I think for a parent um to like think about their kid's future Mm -hmm. yeah the first time I ever talked at an arthritis foundation event was at I was asked to speak at the local camp the summer camp for the kids it's actually a family camp so the whole family comes siblings and I remember like I had all these points I wanted to make and these whole stories I was telling, but like one of the moms came up to me afterwards and they're like, it's just great to see that you're just like 
a person like out there doing stuff and like having a life and like getting married. And I'm like, wow, I wanted to make these big lofty points, but they're actually, that is all that they wanted to know. It's just that like, you're going to yep. survive this, you know, most likely. Um, yeah. And that's kind of humbling in some weird way too, you know? Yeah. I've had the same exact experience. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think I, I've like I've also been on the other side of it as a camper um, at one of the mm-hmm. arthritis foundation camps and seeing other young adults as my counselors who were living life, going to college and getting these cool jobs mm-hmm. and things like that while still like, you know, figuring out their life with arthritis as a young adult. Like I realized that my life wasn't over. Um, because for a long time, like when I was first diagnosed, I really did. Like I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know what the future was going to look like for me. So just being able to see other people out there living life with it, um, made such a difference. Ah, that's beautiful. And so that transitions perfectly in my mind to like, um, how, how did you start sharing your story, you know, online? Where did you first start? Like, I actually don't know the answer to this. So oh, yeah. Like, did you start with a blog or did you start like in person sharing your story? How's that? How's that evolved? It's kind of like been going on for so long that it's, it's just crazy. But when yeah. I was first diagnosed, um, it was the summer after. So 2014 when I first, no. 20, well, I was diagnosed in 2010, so 2011 that I first went to camp. Um, and I didn't start like sharing my story then, but, um, I think like it definitely like sparked something in me to like, that I could like share my story with other people, like realizing the power of like connecting with others. And I kept going to camp year after year and I had to do a project of some sorts to become a counselor in training um, and you could uh-huh. do like a fundraising project or a volunteer project. And I wanted to make a blog where I shared like my, like what my life was like with arthritis. And I was like mm-hmm. 16 or something. And I, that's the first thing, wow. first time I remember sharing anything that blog is hopefully off the internet now because it's probably not very oh. good, but, um, from there, oh, just oh, stop sorry, for one second. When you say camp, I realize I know what you're talking about. When you oh, say yeah. camp, but can you explain what camp, what is the camp you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, I went to Camp JRA. It was in um Millville, Pennsylvania. It was one of the Arthritis Foundation's like summer camps. It was a week long. Mine wasn't family camp. It was just the kids a sleepover okay, camp. Yeah. Um and it was like kids with all types of arthritis, which was cool. Like there was kids there with lupus. Mm-hmm kids there with JRA, kids there with all different things. Um, so I went the year after I was diagnosed and like kept going as a camper and then was a counselor. Um, and then I haven't been back in a few years since I graduated college and moved, but I'm still in touch Mm -hmm. with like the people from camp all those years ago. And, um, like they're still some of my best friends. So, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So you became a counselor. You were, you had your blog. Yeah. I had a little blog. And then, um, when I went to college, I didn't really share about it a lot at all. 
Um, my mom actually picked me up after my first year and realized that none of my friends, like close friends knew about it. I hadn't told anybody I was in like a very low symptom, possibly medicated remission, um, like era while I was in college. So I like, didn't really seem to tell people. Um, but so my mom like realized and I hadn't told anybody and, um, I ended up telling all my friends then, but (laughs) anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I mean, well, thing. and it's no, no, I'm asking you to like literally condense your life story. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I had a similar when I was in Medicaid remission, I didn't tell a lot of people because it just didn't, it wasn't relevant because I was doing well, you know? Yeah. So I think, I mean, depend, unless your medications had like a specific side effect or, you know, there was some like I had to refrigerate my injections when I was on like an injectable biologic. And so I would have to tell them for that reason. But otherwise, like, that's the beauty of remission, right? Is if you, you know, if you couldn't get into remission, then you're kind of living life normally, except for your appointments and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. you weren't talking about it a lot in college. I yeah. wasn't talking about it a lot in college. Um, and I was still going back to camps like in the summertime in college, but then once I graduated, mm-hmm. I stopped and, um, I like flared again and it was a whole thing, but I like, I didn't have a connection to, anybody where I was in Tampa. Um, I didn't know anybody in the area with arthritis. I didn't like have anybody besides my like few friends from camp that I could text or call, which is always great. Um, Mm. but it like, I just was looking for new connections. I think like, I don't know. So anyway, I got connected with the arthritis foundation, um, in Florida, um, and met some people through that. And then, right at it was like the end of 2020 or or end of 2019 early 2020 that I first was like I think I'm going to like start an Instagram account and I was like talking to my now husband about it and I was literally sitting I remember I was sitting Mm -hmm. in an airport flying back from the holidays and I like had my computer and I was like brainstorming names and stuff like that and I was like I'm just gonna do it like just but I always loved talking to other people with it. And I really think like, I want to share my story um, as I like kind of embark on this new chapter of like, I was just moving to like adult doctors. I was just moving out on my own um, and doing all these things. So like, why not share what I'm going through? Um, So that's kind of where I started. I feel like that was like there was always a chronic illness community, but I think a lot of us really started around that same time, even though it was yeah. like pre, I started mine pre pandemic, which was like weird timing, but, um, mm-hmm. because then like everything changed so quickly, but yeah. So you started in, um, it's that girl with arthritis. Yes. So I started that yeah. girl with arthritis on Instagram. Um, I just started like sharing my story, sharing whatever I felt like sharing really. And I still kind of just do that. Just trying to keep it like real, not like super like positive, uplifting. Like if I have a bad day, I'm like, I'm sharing, talking about that too. Um, but really just like a place for other people to connect and learn and what we're all trying to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, did you have any reservations before sharing more publicly? Like, were you worried about anything or were you more like optimistic? 
I think I was really optimistic, to be honest. I didn't really have any reservations because I had been like sharing my story, like little bits here and there throughout my life. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think I really expected to like it to grow as much as it did to where it is today. Um, and all of that. So. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's a little bit of a generation thing. Like I'm, you know, 41 and I, I grew up before social media. Social media actually didn't come out. Um, like Mark Zuckerberg was literally making Facebook when I was a senior in college. So, you know, and I didn't have a cell phone until after college. Like it's hard to like, and that like these generation gaps happen so fast, you know? Yeah. But yeah, for me, my, I was a little worried just about like, future employers or someone like using something that I said, you know, to like discriminate against me or, um, or just coping with the more audience, the bigger audience you get, the more sometimes um, unhinged comments you can get Yeah. <laughs> or like trolls. Like, has that um, like, have you had to deal with any of that or? Like, I don't think I was prepared for that at all, but I've had to deal with it. I get like comments or messages from people. Um, all the time and I'm just like sometimes I'll like ignore them sometimes I respond <laughs> so it's yeah. like hard I think it is it's tough and it's tough to like when you go on to share your life and I don't know if you found this too Cheryl but like sometimes I just want to take a break from, like like I want to take a break from my doctor's appointments like I I can't do that mm-hmm. but I want to take a break from it so sometimes it becomes a lot sharing online all the time. So I've been mindful about taking breaks in the past from sharing um, or just like even not like scrolling my feed as much um, and consuming mm-hmm. as much content and more so just like posting m- my own content um, because it can be a lot to consume all of that all of the time. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. I don't know if you know that song, the Olivia Rodrigo song, Jealousy, Jealousy. Yeah. Where she starts where she's like, I'm so sick of myself. And I'm like, I get that sometimes. I'm like, I love talking about myself. Like, and then I'm or talking about my story and sharing and connecting. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm sick of myself. Like, I don't want to talk about my story again. Like, or right, right now. Yep. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that that's something I'm still navigating is like, I just have to kind of right now it's more like I'm reactive to it rather than proactive. But I think long-term it's probably more sustainable to be like, I know some people have built in, like they'll take a screen free Sunday, like every Sunday they just totally disconnect. And I think that's probably a really healthy thing to do right now. I just do like sporadic, you know, cleanses where I just don't use anything for a few days and, you know, or um, just be mindful. Like, is this a good time? Am, Am I in a good headspace for like, rolling right now or um is it gonna like is it gonna be kind of stressful and I um yeah so I totally I can totally identify with that and I think um it's hard it because you know you want you you want to you know circling back to that topic of like you want to share the fact that you can still you know have a life with this condition right most people can still have a life it may not look like how they want it to look, but it can be a fulfilling, you know, existence. But then um, if all your days are taken up by thinking about like social media content, you're like, this is now my life. You know, like you can. Yeah. And especially when the social media content is around like your health condition, I think it's like hard. Like I don't, I, I already 
am in pain most days. (laughs) Like I don't want to be thinking about it and doing that 24 seven. So it's definitely tough finding a balance, but um, I think we're all navigating that a little bit. Yeah. And it it helps to, again, it's like the double-edged sword, like the cause is the cure or whatever, but like connecting to other people on social media who has struggled with that at least makes you feel like, you know, you're not, you're not alone, you know, okay, we're all figuring this out, you know, If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Um. And what have been some of the the positives like in in sharing you know in sharing your story publicly and and you have your own podcast too by the way yeah yeah, yeah. so it was like a year after that girl with arthritis after I started that um, my friend Becca who I actually met through one of the arthritis foundation events in Tampa um, we oh. met and she's was like she's a few years older than me but we're around the same age and both work Mm -hmm. like, you know, corporate jobs. And we're trying to like navigate this life as 20 something year olds with arthritis. Um, We were both like getting married this around the same time and doing all of these things. So like, it was a lot of like 
it lined up perfectly for us to start our podcast. So um, we started our podcast in 2021. I think it was <laughs> time is blurring. Um, but that has been su- such a fun time. And um, we've connected with even like more people, I think that way, just like a different audience and a different reach. I'm sure you found too. Um, I think the biggest thing obviously has just been connecting with new people. Um, I've learned so much like new, like coping things and different gadgets and tools that have like changed my life too because of like what other spoonies are sharing online um it's Mm -hmm. like it's like totally like it's it's so helpful um so it's yeah I think that answered your question yeah no and I (laughs) I think I a lot of like um social media gets a bad reputation because of some of the bad stuff that can be on it, like the trolls and the misinformation. But I always want to kind of give, you know, equal like weight to the benefits too. So those are the same benefits for, for me. I think I would only just add, you mentioned coping. And like, for me, it would also be like destigmatizing talking about mental health. Cause it's hard for me to remember this, but I, I did not want to talk about having anxiety. Like in, even a few years ago, I was like, I'm not going to talk about that because I'm, I don't want people to judge me, which is like, they're judging you anyway, but um, you know, and it's, again, you have to be at a certain point where that you, that's what you do want to do. I'm not saying it. there's some people who, do, who will never talk openly or publicly about their mental health struggles. And that's the right thing for them. But for me, it ended up being seeing other people share about having anxiety, like made me, it was so powerful to me that I was like, I want to also do this and help like to decrease the stigma, you know, um, around, around like, people who have like an anxiety disorder being like weaker or just like failing at thinking positive, you know? So, um, that's been like a huge thing for, for me as well. Um, uh, oh, and you mentioned being a, a young, uh, corporate job lady on the town. Do you want, I'm I'm sure people are wondering, like, like it's one of those questions again, like what things do people do for work who have, arthritis like people have asked that before like oh is OT like an arthritis friendly career you know things like that and that was something I thought about when I chose it but do you want to share just a little bit about what you do for work sure yeah so I work in marketing um I work from home for a marketing and PR agency actually um I do like travel a little bit for work so a few times a year I'll um meet with clients and things like that but um working from home has been the biggest saving grace for me um I don't think I would ever go back to working in an office personally it's just like it has just changed like the way I can build my day and all of that so that you know if I'm having a bad day if I'm wake up feeling super stiff like I can work my schedule around that too That's, that's great. And I know that, you know, just a few years ago before the pandemic, the work from home opportunities were really few and far between. So it's great that you have that. Uh, there's some flexibility. Yeah. I've seen so many people do so many different things like career wise when they have like RA or any, you know, autoimmune conditions like this. Um, so I, I mean, like, think about like what your day-to-day is going to look like when you're considering a career. Um, Like something Mm -hmm. that I considered early on, like around the time I was diagnosed, like I wanted to be a teacher. 
Um, that was something I wanted to do. Yeah. And I, like, I really thought like long and hard about it. I just didn't think like that the schedule, like the days were going to work for me. My hands are so effective, affected by my arthritis. They're like probably like my most effective joints. Um, that like writing on a chalkboard, doing things like that. Like I really thought about all of those things, but I know so many successful who, people who are teachers who have RA um, or other things. So it's not just because I didn't think I could do that. doesn't mean that you can't do that. Um, but it's like, I would just consider like what your day-to-day is going to look like um, in that specific career that you're considering. Uh, absolutely. One of the things that I factored in, even though I had mostly been in medicated remission at the time, um, I had had some perhaps I had one biologic stop working at the time I did become an occupational therapist. And I was like, okay, I want a career that has real possibilities to do it part-time. And like teaching is like a perfect example of it. It's like, if you want to be a traditional classroom teacher, like K through 12, like it's practically unheard of to do it part-time. Like there's yeah. not a lot of like job, there's occasionally you get someone, they do like a job sharing where like one teacher takes like three days a week, other teacher takes two days, but it's just really not the norm where it's like in the rehab fields, like OTPT speech, like there's people that, you know, work like two, you know, two Saturdays a month or they work, you know, um, you know, three to 6 p.m. in the afternoons while their kids are at soccer practice. So they were, you know, there's so many like little things I could imagine, like with your energy levels and stuff, like figuring it out, like, like having a flexible schedule and having part-time availability. Like for me, those are two like huge things that are helpful for, for yep. chronic illness. Um, yeah, that's a good Not point. having to be like there, like cry, another one would be like, even if it's like a chiropractor for, or a massage, massage therapist is what I meant to say is like a career where you might have a lot of flexibility around your schedule. You could have like your own private practice and be like, okay, I work from these hours. But during those hours, you have to be on and you're physically using your hands. Like there's not, like you can have an adaptation, but like that's like the job basically yeah. is. Like, and so that would be kind of virtually impossible to do very easily, you know, with, with these conditions. But, but you're right that so much depends on how well you've responded to meds. I mean, there's people, like you said, he's the same, you know, there's people who on the medication that worked for me for six years, there's people who've been on it for 14 years, 20 years. And so, and they're doing great. And so you're like, well, they just do whatever they want. <laughs> like, so yeah. you don't have that crystal ball, but um, I just say like air on the side of caution. Um, oh my gosh. Well, and I also just want to ask a little bit more um, about you know, your involvement, like in the arthritis foundation, because I know that's been so like important, you know, for you and, or, and now you're saying that you want that you're also maybe getting involved in Lucas foundation. How did you get started? Like, I guess it was the camp, but yeah, I got started with camp and my family did the first, um, did our first jingle bell run, um, like 2011 or 2012, like right after I was diagnosed. Um, so we've like always been a Jingle Bell Run is like the Arthritis Foundation's kind of signature event um, around yeah. the holiday season. Um, so we were always like a Jingle Bell Run family, I call us. Um, yeah. And I'm the event chair for that here in Tampa now. So I help to plan yeah. that every year, um, which is super fun. But for me, it's just always been so important and truly without like camp and 
all of the things early on from the foundation, like networking things and connect groups. And even for my parents, um, things that they Mm -hmm. got to experience, like I, it's just like, I can't imagine where I would be at, um, with, if I hadn't Mm -hmm. like made those connections early on and realized that, like I said, like my life isn't over because of my arthritis. Um, that was Mm -hmm. all because of like those things that, I experienced early on through the foundation. So it's just always been so important to me to give back to them, um, volunteer with them like when I can just speak to connect with other, you know, kids going through the same thing and hopefully get the same kind of message across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, um, I was not, you know, identify, I, I didn't have juvenile arthritis, so I didn't go to the camp as a, as a kid, but I do, I found it so meaningful to volunteer at our local, like it's called the catfish camp for kids, families of kids with arthritis. And, um, and if you go, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, but it's just arthritis.org slash events slash JA dash camps. <laughs> um, if you want to just plug that in right now, you can see, I mean, there were unfortunately some budget cuts that have like reduced, like there were more camps that used to be there like five years ago or so, but luckily, because these camps are so important to so many people, they still do have so many, and they're, they are all, like, at least um, the ones I've been involved with, they're really, they're run partly by staff and partly by volunteers, you know, so that's a great way to, to give back, like you said, and, and become part of a community that's, like, a little more in person, too, because, like, I'm the biggest fan of online connections, like, I obviously run, you know, the Room to Thrive, like, online support groups and everything, but it is, really nice to be to know someone locally like someone you could get lunch with or like you know um and and or share like hey who's a good rheumatologist like my kid's transitioning from pediatric to adult like who's a good rheumatologist in your area you know it's nice to have that connection but yeah there's ones in you know california colorado georgia um minnesota i think the mn is minnesota right yeah utah washington and then there's also a national there's a national ja camp via zoom i think just this year was was it only zoom this year uh i'm not sure about camp um i was at family summit which was in georgia this past year um so it's kind of like a more conference style i guess um it's like same like purpose i would say is camp i call camp in a hotel um because it's yeah, like yeah all, all yeah the kids I went still get to me and yeah I went to the one in Keystone Colorado in 2014 I think that was the same thing that where it was it was kids and families and but it was like a lot of yeah a lot of like educational sessions yes and then yeah but sorry I didn't mean to jump oh no just, you're good <laughs> Yeah, no, we've been, I've been to summit, um, like the conference the last two years and it's great. Um, I think it's like one of those things, like I wish my family had gone to cause I went to camp, but it wasn't family camp. So I think summit is really cool for yeah. parents, siblings. There's so many siblings at summit who are like surprisingly like so active in sessions and things like that and looking to connect with other siblings and, um, like talk about their experience with it too. So, um, it's definitely like a cool experience if you have the chance. Yeah, I, I, I found that with the Washington state camp, I guess it's one of the only ones that is the full family. Um, mm. and it's only two nights, 
so it's a smaller camp than like a full residential like week long camp but um I really the, the siblings were the ones that almost like seemed to learn the most you know they're like wow I really yeah. understand you know what my sibling goes through now um is there anything else before we move to the um sadly this has gone by so fast but before I move to the rapid fire questions is there anything else you wanted to say about um sharing your story or volunteering or or anything else yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it can be really intimidating getting started connecting with other people and sharing your story. Um, and I've learned oh, that yeah. like I was really open to it because like um, my parents really um, like not pushed me to like meet other people and talk about it more, but they they really encouraged that. Um, so I was like really comfortable with it, but I've met so many people who are more hesitant to do so, which is totally fine too. Like, I just want to say it's okay to like take baby steps into it and do what you're comfortable with at first. Um, when it comes to like going to support groups or connecting with people online or anything like that, whatever you're ready for is totally okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's so important to acknowledge, but there are definitely certain people like I always joke about myself that like if the teacher was like, does anyone want to do show and tell today? Like I was always the first kid to raise my hand. Like I want to show and tell like some people that's your personality, you know, and other people, it definitely takes, um, you know, the people who don't like public speaking, people who don't like sharing about themselves. Um, and, and it takes a lot of courage to, to do that. And it also needs to be the right thing for you at the right time. So yeah, it doesn't, it's certainly not something that everyone should do it's just that you know it's something you can like weigh the pros and cons of doing and one kind of intermediary step I see people do sometimes is making an anonymous account so yeah. you can share me without sharing your face without sharing your name you could sh at least connect with people that way which you know yeah can be nice and you can make comments and participate so you're making connections but you're just not sharing as much about yourself yeah that's so, a great first step yeah yeah um Okay, so these are rapid fire questions, but they're all ones that we could also spend like hours talking about. But um, what are some of the, you know, words of wisdom um, that you have for somebody who might have just gotten diagnosed with either JIA, adult rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, mixed plant tissue disease? What are what something um, that you find helpful? I feel like it's really important early on to find a doctor it doesn't need to be like your primary doctor or your rheumatologist but a doctor that you're comfortable having open conversations with and asking questions mm -hmm. to it can be so dangerous early on to like go down the google rabbit hole like i literally remember googling uh, like yeah. like life expectancy of like this person of like mixed connective tissue disease like the first time like when I right after I was diagnosed so yeah. it's just important to find I think medical professionals that you're comfortable asking questions with and someone who like you can have that those conversations with like I have a, my rheumatologist now like if something comes up I know I can message her on our portal and she'll get back to me um mm -hmm. and right away and I don't have to go down the google rabbit hole um so I that's right. something I think about for newly diagnosed patients because there's so much out there on the social media, on internet, everything now. Oh, it's, it's so important. Yeah. To have, I think to just have some context around it, like what you're looking at, because you don't know what you don't know. Like for example, with life expectancy, there are like peer reviewed research articles on rheumatoid arthritis 
that are about, you know, the life expectancy historically of someone with rheumatoid arthritis is less, like over five years less, usually like around seven years less. How, however, the context that a doctor would provide you with is that the, the people who are diagnosed in the current era of biologics that are putting more and more people into remission than ever before, that it, like people like me who were diagnosed in 2003 at age 20, like I haven't died yet. So we don't have the data. Like we don't have the data on the current life expectancy, right? Yeah. We don't, because it's a very long, 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 we're talking like decades that we won't know until then. But theoretically, if the, um, you know, disease severity correlates, which you would expect to the mortality risk, AKA like for life expectancy reduction, then you would say, well, if the disease is better controlled, then you have a less risk of dying early, you know? So, yeah. but you don't know that if you're just on Google and you just, those words, those words imprint on your brain, I'm going to die seven years earlier. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it can be scary. So yeah, bringing up, if you see something that scares you online, to bringing up to your doctor and yeah, you having that open relationship is so important. Um, earlier, you mentioned our, one of my love languages, which is arthritis gadgets. <laughs> yes. arthritis tools. Do you have any favorite arthritis gadget or tools in your toolbox? Oh, I have. I feel like I have so many that I don't even like realize that it's an arthritis gadget. Or even like my husband uses some of them because he's just like, we always say like, it's he, I'll be like, babe, this isn't arthritis friendly. Like this is, I can't even open this. He's like, that's not even human friendly. Like I can't even open this and I'll have arthritis. Um, so it's so funny, but I think like the, probably my most used things are my heating pads, my heated blankets. And I have one that I love that actually plugs into my car, um, which I don't need a lot here in Florida, but when we do like road trips, cause we have family up North, um, it plugs into like the oh. like carport, um, which is super cool and very convenient. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's really good to know about. Um, yeah, my favorite heating thing is, is the, for the winter months, the heated gloves and heated shirt yeah. um, and heated socks. Cause I also have Raynaud's, so I'll lose circulation in my fingers and toes and just um, but those help a lot. But yeah, I guess you don't need those in Florida, probably. Yeah. <laughs> when you go back to Pennsylvania. Um, this is totally just because I love talking about like pop culture and like what people are reading and watching. Do you have a favorite like book or movie or show that you watched recently? Um, so I just or maybe finished... concert going to. Yeah, I was gonna say I have to talk about Taylor Swift, but um the book yeah. so I just finished like the summer I turned pretty because they're on Amazon Prime right now. So, and I just like any sort of like rom-com, like light read like that. I love, I think I started like reading for enjoyment again last year um, and not Yay. just like for school or like self-help books. And it's like, it's just been so fun. Um, but obviously Taylor Swift um, has got me through all the times with her music. So um <laughs> Yeah, it's like so funny to think about. I'm sorry, what were you saying? How long ago was it that you saw her Eras tour? So I saw her in March in Vegas, and then April in Tampa. So it's been oh so God. long. Oh, and she's coming. She's going to Miami now next year. I know. I know. I have to keep my eye out for tickets. Um, but okay. yeah, truly though, Taylor Swift has like been there with me 
I remember listening to her like my first infusions ever like in the hospital and you know things like that like she's been there with me through the whole thing um and it I've been I was at red red tour and I was at reputation um and then the two eras tours so I'm like I feel like I'm a pretty OG fan you are an OG. I had tickets to Red, but then my friends got married the same day. And I was like, darn it, I can't, I can't do <laughs> your wedding. Like, <laughs> and then um, we saw 1989 and Reputation. But yeah, I, I wasn't um, like a diehard fan in the really early eras. I liked her voice and everything, but I, and I um, but once I got into like, you know, Reputation 1989, I was like, oh, I'm like a big fan now. Yeah, and yeah. totally. Uh, I don't actually want to do a whole we should do a whole episode on um, maybe a crossover episode for your podcast too. No, no pressure. But um, on like how we can, how we relate to like different Taylor Swift lyrics and how. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But all of them, that would take like five hours. (laughs) I know. I know. I keep seeing ones of yours that you are posting on Instagram and some of them I haven't even thought of um, that you've posted, but so many of them can relate back. They're rich texts. Yeah, for for sure. Oh, so fun. Um, totally different note. Or actually, maybe maybe it's a lyric. Do you have a favorite like <laughs> mantra or inspirational saying that like you go to when things are hard or things are rough? Um, and I guess that's pretty like cheesy, but I like get very overwhelmed when I have like a lot going on, and I'll look mm-hmm. at like a month and be like, "How am I going to get through this?" Um, so really, just I always tell myself one day at a time. Um, if I can just make it oh, through. That's not cheesy. That's you like know? that's like helpful. <laughs> the one day at a time thing is just like I if I could plaster that on like every wall in my house, I think I would be okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I mean, the one that I say a lot is like I can do hard things because it like acknowledges and validates that it's hard, but like I also can do them, you know, by yeah. like one day at a time because it's so true. Like if you're you get overwhelmed when you start thinking about like everything. So you just say, okay, get to the yep. next moment. And like, did you ever watch the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Oh no, I haven't watched that. Oh okay. There's a part in the very beginning where she's like, you can do anything for ten seconds. Like she's, <laughs> she's like, yep, pulling this wheel. She's like, you can do anything for ten seconds. Um. Oh, also on rom romantic comedy or romantic comedy like books if you haven't read red white and royal blue that's a really good one too oh, okay I think that's actually on my like, list because I like rent them from yeah um the library I think it's oh, on there right now it's really, I love it I read it twice it's really really good <laughs> um okay this is kind of similar but <laughs> what's something that's bringing you joy right now um, like yeah we have two dogs that's if I my first my head first went we have Jojo is our mini golden doodle. And then we have Daisy is our golden retriever. And we have a cat, Stella. I can't forget her, but um, my girls bring me lots of joy and lots of cuddles. Oh, same. I'm looking at my little floof, my little floof ball right now, Teddy. And I have, I have Eva, the cat. She's very, very sweet too. She snuck on me a lot this weekend. Um, And last one, um, what does it mean to you to live a good life and thrive with rheumatic disease? Uh, <laughs> okay, this is what I should prepare for, so now I'm going to have to think for a second. Let me think. I just, it's like what I was saying earlier, just like learning to, like that you can do 
you know, a lot of the things that you've dreamed about doing, you just have to learn and accept Mm -hmm. that you're going to have to adapt them a little bit along the way. But, um, I feel like I've, I live a pretty full life, like, like a lot of my friends without rheumatic disease, like with, but even with my rheumatic disease. So, um, I just, it, 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 you have to find a balance of like, you know, your disease, your medications, your treatments, um, and then your symptoms too. And like finding a balance that works for you because you might not be able to get the perfect mix where you're, you know, pain-free with the perfect medication that has no side effects and all of that. And I think you have to learn to accept that too. And, um, like just find a balance that works. That was a little bit jibber jabby, but that's what I'm going with. (laughs) No, you used two of my favorite words, one that I reluctantly came to, which is acceptance and two, which I liked from the beginning, which is adapting. So those are like keys. Like I know when I talked to, um, Stephanie Remsen, now it's like two years ago, I talked to her, the rheumatoid arthritis coach. She's a nurse who's been living with RA for a, a while. She also, like, we talked about how, like, adapting is a superpower, like, knowing how to adapt. Because I think, sorry, you're just like, I'm on my soapbox now. But yeah, like, adapting to, to what life is, not the life that you thought you're going to have, maybe when you were, you know, before you were diagnosed, but this is the life that you have. So, you know, can you, like you said, accept it and adapt to it and lean into it rather than fighting it? It's going to be a lot easier battle for you than if you try to say, no, I got to like find, keep, keep trying to find like the perfect thing. Yeah. You have to work work alongside your disease almost Mm. like I, I, I use the term warrior a lot. Um, and it's like, that has connotation of like fighting against it. But, um, I feel like it's just like you, it's just like anything else. Like you're going to learn to live with it. Um, and Mm -hmm. kind of keep living your life alongside your disease. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of, I mean, this is what social media opens you up to, right. Is the fact that you can use language that like resonates with you. It doesn't resonate with someone else. Like it's weird. It's like, I, I do resonate with the idea of being a warrior because I'm like I it does take a lot of effort to live yeah. <laughs> a good life with this but I but I don't consider I don't conceptualize myself as fighting against my own body I more think of it as like as a former kind of athlete who I used to kind of have to just you get that point and like you're three quarters of the way through the mile and you're like I've got to keep going like I just yeah. want to stop but I've got like getting that little gumption to be like okay I want to keep fighting you know and not give up that's kind of the part that that, that I like about the word warrior but, um, but yeah 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 I love no so I love that answer I know it's it's hard. I always am like putting like 20 qualifiers on that because I just know it's a really hard answer but that's like I think that's probably the central question of all of my work is like, how can we do this? (laughs) How can we thrive and, and, you know, and, and live like fully embrace like our reality, um, you know, with, with rheumatic disease. So I appreciate your answer. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I know you, we mentioned that you are that girl with arthritis on um, Instagram. Can you share the, is it, I'm just looking up as we talk, but um. Is it, is there any periods in it or anything or is nope. it just, it's just at that back. girl with arthritis. Um, and then Becca and I's podcast page is at those girls with arthritis as well. 
um, but it's all linked on my page. I so it. I know it's so it's so cool. I love it. You've I mean I did not know that you started sharing your story so early. I genuinely I was like wait, but I know the thirteen. You're like well oh, I started sharing my story when I was fourteen. I was like oh my goodness, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and I, I think I, you should try to find your old blog just just for yourself, so you can. Yeah, right. You know, funny is, I had a blog and I found it a long time ago on this old platform called Blogspot.com. And what's funny is I didn't. And this was when I was in full remission, and it was like I didn't even mention arthritis in it. And it's oh, so wow. interesting. Yeah, like what you're saying with your college for me it was like the years after college the, my last year of college and then I thought, I thought about a lot my last year of college because I was adjusting to like taking meds and everything but I started the blog after college and it was just like I'm putting dancing and I'm working and I'm you know or maybe I just didn't share publicly I, I wish I could remember better um but but anyway but um so hopefully everyone will follow you and listen to your podcast those girls with arthritis as well and thank you just so much for taking the time. Um, I know that both you and I like sharing our stories, but I, I always recognize that it takes, you know, some emotional labor and energy to oh, share yeah. your story. So thank you. Oh yeah, of course. Thank you. All right. Well, hopefully we'll talk to you later, maybe about Taylor Swift, but for now we'll say bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you. Bye.